So hi, here's Florian with a new podcast guest, and I would say introduce yourself. Hey, uh, I'm Daniel. I'm the CEO and co-founder of LaserFocus. Uh, we are building uh, the fastest way to email, call, schedule um, for salespeople on top of the CRM. And my background is I've been in the startup scene since 10 plus years, scaling up uh, companies. I was the delivery hero, LemonCat, Lemon One, and uh, was recently at the Y Combinator Winter 2020 batch. So probably you accomplished with that the dream of the most uh, startup people um, joining the Y Combinator. But probably for the start, for the people which are not so familiar with the uh, startup ecosystem, what is the Y Combinator? So Y Combinator is an accelerator program. Um, they in, uh, invite uh, companies that they like to fund for the uh, course of three months to be in Silicon Valley and grow the business there, find out the product market fit and connect with other like-minded people. So that is the official version. For startup nerds like me, it would be the equivalent of um, going to Hogwarts. So they would be the Hogwarts of all uh, startup people because out of their uh, program there came a lot of very famous or big uh, companies for example, Stripe, Airbnb, DoorDash, Rappi, companies that value billions and uh, uh, and are uh, influencing everyday's life. So being part of that network is something that is very valuable. Yeah, and they, they have a strong selection. So um, they select pretty hard who gets in and who not. And um, so that's probably the beginning of the story. So uh, how was the application process? What was your experience with that? I mean, um, to be honest, everyone says the selection process is really hard, but it is more like um, it's just hard if you take the average of everyone applying, right? So for some people, it might be easier. For some people, it's almost impossible. So they have certain criteria. If you fit the criteria, then it's not that hard to get in. So selection criteria for them is, do you have someone uh, who can build or do you, are you building something? Do you uh, have traction with your product? Did you think it through? Do you have industry experience? Um, did you show that you achieve something significant? If you have these things checked, then the, um, the possibility to get in there is, of course, definitely higher than if you just say, I have an idea and I want to make a billion. So that is, um, that is not really true that it's very hard. So there are criteria that you need to meet. But uh, even though if you have the criteria, the process is really uh, standardized so everyone can apply. I think the program was also um, brought into life because... They wanted to uh, make the playing field uh, even, so no one needs to know investors and uh, to uh, to get funded. But they say, okay, convince us in a standardized process. Go through our questionnaire on our website. Say what you're doing in a very concise way. 
tell us how it can be big, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, upload the video, show that you build something, show that you understood your customers. So that is the process in the first part. This is in a written application, so normally they look over it and then um, they decide um, for the second part. The second part is... Um, Will you be invited? Uh, inter will you be invited to an interview? Um, it used to be um, that you have to fly to Silicon Valley to to uh, to Mountain View to their office and uh, have a ten-minute interview. Uh, we had the chance as an European com uh, company to or uh, to be from Europe, and they interviewed us in Paris. But now with the new Corona situation, um, they moved everything also online. So that is the process. And afterwards, um, they will tell you if you are accepted or not. I think uh, the decision is normally made at, uh, at the same day. For foreign countries which are not in the US, it, uh, took, uh, it takes a little bit long. Cool. So they really want to meet you in person before they decide. So it's not like that they do everything online. They, they want that you, that you meet them in person for the final interview and that's pretty cool it used to be like this now with COVID, of course they're doing yeah they, they put it back and also they have a limited amount of of batches like a limited amount of startups they take per per year right um i don't think the limitation is uh there by by uh, they don't have an arbitrary number i think it depends on how many people do they think can they um, support in a year? So that is also a thing. It increases over time. I think our batch was 200 uh, companies, but 200 companies, that also meant that they had much more partners. So you have always talked with, uh, talk with the partners. So if they have more partners and partners increase, then of course the batch can also get bigger. And in the beginning, it was very small because there were not that many partners. So that is my, I think their main criteria of why they're limiting um, the number of companies. Wow, so you had like 200 startups with you in, in this, this batch. So they flow out 200 startups to San Francisco and like, did you all stay in the same area or how did they manage the whole thing then over there? No, well, it's, they, uh, they uh, treat us all as um, adults. So we uh, get the funding, so they wire us the money. Uh, their standard deal is 150,000 uh, US dollars for 70% of the company in a, um, in a convertible note agreement, which they call safe. And with that money, you decide how you will accommodate yourself, if you will bring your whole team there, if only the founder are there. So it's up to you. So everyone oh. finds their So what did you realize too? So uh, the program itself is um, it's no no how did how did you decide like who, did you offline over or just you uh, how did so, how did yeah, me and my co-founder Mark my co-founder Mark and CTO and me we flew over we booked an apartment stayed in San Francisco instead of Mountain View and yeah okay cool and you stayed of course with Airbnb <laughs> no we didn't use Airbnb <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, we used, but we used another YC company, which was uh, Zeus, that was um, more more comfortable. Okay, okay, cool. Cool. And so I'm surprised that they have 200, uh, a batch of 200 uh, startups. Would you still say the, the quality of leading you guys and teaching you guys and help you guys was still there? 
Um, it's hard to say because I can't compare with the, with the batches beforehand. This is yeah, fair point. Fair point. So just the experience, like, what was um, it for you? I think uh, so. What I heard from previous batches, it's always the same, right? So they uh, we meet up once a week for having talks and so on, and then we have office hours with the. With the with uh, four partners and then with other companies talking about what we want to achieve, and in the meantime, when we want to have individual office hours, uh, we can also book that. So profile-wise, yeah. uh, it's very good. It's still uh, a lot. You stay in touch with the people very much, but the most yeah. of the time, the most important thing is not like you go to school and and they they sit in front and tell you what you have to do. They just challenge you, and then you go out, and then you work to grow the company and that's what we also did i mean i basically just saw my our apartment the whole time except for the times when we met uh, the other yc founders once a week or every two weeks yeah so so you stayed most time there and like or like you worked most of the time of course and then uh, just got feedback the whole time yeah um, so probably, uh, well uh, being locked down didn't didn't affect us that much. So it was the same for us the whole three months that we stayed inside and worked. Yeah, but you still saw a bit of, of the Bay Area, right? Or like, did you really all the time <laughs> stayed focused in there and locked down uh, just as, as a preparation of COVID-19? <laughs> to be honest, uh, what I saw was traffic jams from uh, going from San Francisco to Mountain View. Uh, you don't believe the distances are very long, so... Takes takes a while, especially in in in, in, in the rush hours, yeah. and uh, I saw a little bit of California because we also you have to keep your your uh, your mental status clear uh, healthy, so you have to do something out of work uh, once in a while. So we also saw a little bit. Cool, yeah, yeah, that's always good. Like it's it's ne never a good idea to travel and don't go outside and uh, check out what's around you. And uh, definitely uh, one of the most important things you can do with your life, travel. So would you, would you say um, it's, it was still a unique experience you couldn't have somewhere else? Or would you say it's not so much different to an accelerator you could have in, in Germany, in Berlin somewhere? No, I would, uh, I would definitely uh, still uh, abide by, by my opinion that... Um, Doing YC uh, is sounds a little bit cheesy, but it is life changing. So I told Mark, uh, if we apply there, then this will this will be one of the parts in life where you say, okay, if I participate there, then my life would be a little bit different. If I don't participate there, normally you yeah. don't have clear direction of path there, and it was true in the end. So being exposed there and uh, making connections with the people and uh, making friends especially and having the feeling that the YC network is something that you can rely on is definitely changing. Uh, well, it's, it changed our life. Definitely. So how it changed you or what impressed you the most in this? What, so what impressed us the most was more on a, on a psychological level also. So like I said in the beginning, I'm, in startups 10 plus years already right so you uh, you also think okay you know thing you know shit but um 
going there, you also get humbled and then you try to get out of the mental models or uh, you have certain mental models where you approach things. For example, me as a, as a Berlin style guy, it's very much about execution, but then you go there and then they keep on, on, on telling you that the most important thing is to build something that people want. So it's much more product focused. So that changed a lot for us because we thought, okay, it's just an execution game maybe. And uh, it ingrains into you the modus of work, how you do it. So you try to talk with uh, users more. You try to talk with customers all the time just to validate your idea out there before uh, just selling. Yeah, but also execution is always important to, to really validate your ideas at the end because, um, you know... Definitely like words are cheap action is, is possible so even if you the user says yeah that's pretty cool and i would really like that if you put it in front of him and you see what he does with it that's the real indication before that cheap talk could be cheap so i i <laughs> like i know i know where this is coming from stay as close to your end goal as you want so you want to have a good experience for you for your customer your customer needs to be have value so it's always good to focus on the value But on the other side, if you if you just dream and talk too much about your product and like you know and like be a good pitcher, like <laughs> fuck that, you know, <laughs> just at the end, uh, um, just uh, produce something and like let the product speak for yourself and not the pitch. Definitely. So the so the maybe it's a misunderstanding. So the execution part means uh, talking to the customer, finding out what they want, building it in one week, and then going back to them then uh, finding out if this was the thing and then building it again. So the execution is definitely there. I'm just saying execution on the part where you, where you say, okay, this is the best, uh, this is the product. Uh, we sell it. We uh, have high growth numbers, but no retention because they don't like it. That is the thing that I was uh, pointing out with saying, okay, not only execution matters, but having a product where you, the people really want to use it is the precondition for it. Did you did you learn there something uh, which you didn't know before? Like especially if you said you you saw a lot and you had a lot of experience in the startup world. Did they surprise you with something with a technique or some something? You you walked out after that and said, "Okay, that's pretty cool. I never thought I never heard of that." In theory, you hear a lot of things. So you you. You're watching, you're listening to podcasts, you're reading books, how to do this, and then the YouTube videos and everything. It's always a difference if you have skin in the game and you have to uh, put these uh, things towards your business. And there might be a little bit too much advice out there. So honestly, we heard everything before, but before we understand it or before, before you finally realize how it impacts you, you need to go through a little bit of suffering, I would say. So, no, they didn't say something new. Everything they said can be watched on in their videos. But by repeating it and then pinpointing it out to you, then you don't get so blind to obvious mistakes anymore. So that is what we learned there. That, so it was um, more focused and more impact on, on what they what they tell you. I mean, the thing is, they're very honest, so they never bullshit you, which uh, 
which can be also hard. I mean, uh, you, you sometimes, everyone bullshits themselves and say, yeah, we have something. And then they ask you and then they try to find um, the things where you're lying to yourself and so on, which uh, helps you confronting yourself with the problems, which is very good. And also devastating, to be honest. It's not like it's always fun. It's always you go there and then they say, okay, what about that? Did you thought about that? And they're saying, yeah, not really. And then you have to go out and validate it again. So that is the helpful thing, the constant, honest feedback. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's even more difficult if you if you need to give like if you also agree to the feedback and see it yourself because being honest to yourself is also sometimes really difficult because it, it can be also really painful. It is the, uh, this is the most painful thing, yeah. Definitely. Um so do you have still contacts? contact to the people to to your mentors from there yeah so uh, we are open to book office hours so yeah. whenever we need to speak about something about strategy or just uh, talking about how to go forward fundraising whatever they are always open so we have whatsapp channels with them or i just ping them and they say yeah book a time cool so that's the typical part of the alumni network they mm -hmm. you're then part of Because um, alumni, like they, they are mainly an um, accelerator in the U.S. So they're based in the U.S. They let the people fly out to the U.S. Um, but would you, would you say there's still a, a big alumni network in, in Germany? It's, it's still valuable for you? Um, I mean, there are not that many German companies that uh, went to YC. I think it's around about maybe nine or ten. So, uh, so, with, so we are very close to the German founders, they helped us a lot uh, in the application process because uh, as German companies, you also have to think about, okay, how do I set up a deliver corporation? How do I do lawyers, patents, and so on? So that network is very helpful. For example, one tool uh, is here, and then you have Localize, and, and then you have Player. These are German companies or German founders who've been to YC, and they... They are people I stay in contact with still. Oh, so they forced you to have a legal uh, company in the U.S. So they don't invest in a in a German GmbH or some German entity, like some German legal entity. Uh, no, so you need a uh, Delaware Corporation, and that can be, for example, the mother company of the GmbH. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's that's probably a reason why not so many German startups uh, being part of of the white combinator because like 10 is close to nothing like really <laughs> close to nothing for the for the um for the famousness it's it's really low interesting yeah so what do you mean with 10 what do you mean with 10 like if you say there are only 10 10 german startups were part of the white combinator that's like really a low number Like, yeah, it is. Unfortunately, I don't know uh, why. I think uh, more. Uh, I think the, the 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 more people can apply to it. I don't know why they don't do it. Uh, maybe it's just a different mindset or different different criteria or different styles of companies that are built in Germany. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's 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 hard to say. Or maybe your your theory that's really easy to like it's not so difficult to get in, 
maybe that's also wrong. I don't know. So how did you go about the whole um, legalization of the of the US part of your company? Like probably you only need to do this if they applied, like uh, if they let you in, like if they say you are in, probably. Or didn't did you need to do this before you can applicate? No, no. Uh, once, uh, once, uh, so the so they 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 wire you the money into a U.S. corporation, so you need to incorporate first. That was uh, pretty straightforward. So if you're a U.S. company, it's very straightforward. You just go on uh, software and then incorporate. Yeah. Um, we also had it kind of easy because we didn't have a GmbH beforehand, so it's we just incorporated the U.S. company. Yeah. But we still used an, uh, a lawyer that uh, that is familiar with uh, German and uh, U.S. Uh, incorporation and taxes. Yeah, yeah, and so probably you need to pay some bucks for him, but uh, at the end you get like seven percent for 150k. Invest in your company straightforward. So, yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a no-brainer to do that. Like. It's, it doesn't sound like a reason you shouldn't you shouldn't participate in the Y Combinator. Yeah, cool. But it it makes it makes yeah it it makes it more impressive that you are, you guys are now one of the ten German alumni companies of the Y Combinator. Yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> it feels. Uh, it's. I mean, uh, I think uh, the. The borders are changing anyway. I think they're taking in more international founders nowadays because they realized, okay, it's not all just happening in the US. So I think there will be more German founders coming. I also uh, recently talked with someone who applied and got accepted out of Germany. So it might change. Yeah, it would be would be cool. Like it's probably it's probably we can still learn a lot from the Y Combinator and from the Silicon Valley itself. So. Now you're back, and let's 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 keep COVID nineteen out of the game. Uh, what do you say about the main difference between the Berlin startup community and the, the Silicon Valley startup community over there? I mean, there are different ways of uh, difference. So uh, maybe uh, first is uh, in the behavior. So um, Silicon Valley is very much paid forward. So um, people tend to be very helpful. They make intros and they, once you talk to them, they say, hey, you have to talk to this guy and then they open the door. So I went to a lot of companies there in uh, San Francisco, went to the offices, talked with the people, just uh, doing user interviews. It was very, very helpful. I'm not saying that Berlin is not the same, but um, uh, Silicon Valley is on an extreme in helpfulness. Let's put it like this. And the helpfulness is also not only on the founder level, but also on the on the employee level. This is the big difference here. I think that the Berlin um, founder scene is very nice to each other, uh, but the people who, um, who work in the companies um, don't have the mindset of, hey, I want to be helpful here. So they are just employees. So they don't say, yeah. okay, we're in the spirit of everyone is a startup ec uh, economy everyone is a startup so i help other startups i think there's the big difference because the main driver over there is everyone is a startup everyone should help themselves because you never know who you're talking to that that might be the next company you're working with that might be the next company which you partner up with so therefore you keep the opportunities right 
So this is the big difference there. Cool. And it's also, it doesn't depend on size, right? Like also big companies behave like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So yeah, you still have access to the Collison brothers from Stripe or with bigger companies. It's no, it's a no-brainer there. Yeah, that's well, it's, it's of course also my experience. It can be that other people are not that uh, don't have that. And also, I think YC opens the doors. So yeah. I want some people who are coming from Germany, going there, and then don't get any connections. You have to. The people let you in, and once you're in, then it's very easy to move around. But maybe there's a barrier of entry beforehand. I don't know that. Yeah, 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 could be, could be. Like, did you go also to outside events of the Y Combinator? So I'm guessing they organized some parties or some meetups. And then did you also go to random meetups or like meetups which are not uh, organized by Y Combinator? No, not at all. I didn't. It doesn't help anything to my company, so I didn't do that. It could be that like they had like a, a random or like a meetup CRM based or B2B sales based or something. I yeah. wanted to go to Zaster, but uh, I mean, COVID hit. Therefore, I couldn't go to Zaster, which was in uh, San Diego, the biggest uh, uh, convention for uh, software as a service companies. Yeah, yeah. So it, like it's it's right when uh, when uh, COVID nineteen started when you guys were finished right uh, in the middle of uh, so at the, we finished uh, end of uh, April so in March middle of March it started all there and we but we wanted to take COVID out of the discussion yeah yeah yeah, yeah. good good point good point um, so. What are you now your future plans? So you you go on build build more on your product. You always want to improve it, of course. But do you also plan to go back to the US and work more with the US, build up the your your startup in the US, or what what are your plans for the future? I mean that uh, the goal US is a big market, so it is definitely uh, one of the things that we uh, um, aim for. I mean. Uh, Looking at the news or how the situation is nowadays, I can't predict that. But before before everything went to to hell, there, the we had um, yeah we wanted to go back to the US and having the the market uh, the go to market there while also having a foot in Europe. But I mean, it's still early. But this is one thing that we wanted to have in the future, definitely, since we have so the contact there and also the opportunities there. Yeah, that's what what I wanted to ask the next question. So that it could be that like the go to market um, phase is easier to do in the US if you have the really good contacts than in Germany. Yeah, definitely. So how do you know? Or how do you define when your product is ready for go to market? I mean, uh, you're asking the hardest question that everyone is asking them. When do we have product market fit? You have so many theories about it. So you have Mark Andreessen saying. You just always know when you don't have product market fit, but when then it hits you and you don't, uh, then everyone is running your doors in and then you, then you just know it. And then you have something that Raul Fora from uh, Superhuman, uh, he also came up with a metric to see if you have product market fit. That is by asking your customers how disappointed would they be if they can't use your product. That 
And if it's over 40% saying this, then you will say, okay, you have a user product market fit, something like this. Yeah. The retention is high. The time spent in our product is, uh, is for us the North Star metric because then we know, okay, if people spend more time in our tool, that means they, they forsake their slow CRM sales force. They don't use their Gmail anymore. They don't use their calendar, but they do everything out of the tool that uh, combines everything in one front end. That is for us, for example, how we define our product market. And probably you're also able to um, kind of get like some results. Probably you can also check the main KPIs uh, salespeople use, like how many contracts they got from it and how many appointments they got. Probably you can also track this on the side or get like kind of show them statistics so that you have also this metric going for you. Um, I mean, activity, the activities of salespeople is definitely a good metric to see. The results of salespeople um, is something that we can't a hundred we can't directly influence because it always depends on the sales organizations how structured they are and uh, what their process is. But we can definitely limit the time they spend on unnecessary uh, administrative stuff. So if you spend normally uh, three hours or you normally you spend sixty six percent of the time just doing administrative stuff. So that is the thing that we automate very much. Yeah, 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 makes sense. And then probably, yeah, yeah. then probably you can build up a matrix, something like uh, goes through your fullest funnel completely in X times per hour, and then you have a nice, also a nice metric for them. Cool. So, um, yeah, I, I heard also uh, a similar um, story how you find your product market fit. What this person told me was, um, just turn off your service <laughs> and check how fast your customers co uh, uh, talk to you and ask what's going on why your why your service is turned off. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So, um, yeah, cool. Yeah, um, that's definitely definitely something to to look forward to see um, um, how your how this going goes in America in comparison to Germany. So if you start in America first, how easy the transition is then back to Germany or how easy is it to do the go-to-market strategy in, in, your, in the US? That would be definitely an interesting thing for the next podcast. <laughs> But uh, until now, I have, until then, I have still um, two questions for you. Uh, question number one is, uh, what are your favorite books? Uh, um, favorites are for the unadventurous minds. But um, uh, let me let okay. Let, I think about it like this. So, if you would ask my wife which book I quote the most and getting on her nerves the most, I would say it's. Uh, in, I know it's very mainstream nowadays, and it's absolutely non-contrarian. But I don't want to pretend anything. So it's uh, Harari uh, Sapiens. I still like the insights out of it. This is one of the favorite books. What, what, what was the title again? Uh, Sapiens. From yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, cool. Yeah. So that is something that I keep on referring to. 
And then um, what I also like, uh, then that might be also not shining good light on me, but I, I just say it uh, anyway. So it's Dobelli's, um, the, the art of thinking and the second book too. So he points out the mental models and all the biases that we are subjected to. So yeah. it is, a, I mean, it's just a recycling of uh, Daniel Kahneman, thinking fast, thinking slow and everything in the beha behavioral science. But I think, the, I like the books because they are my toilet and I can always look them <laughs> up again. And it's very, it's very uh, entertaining to have uh, one and a half pages of, of how I just uh, went for a wrong bias again. Yeah, it's also a good idea to keep your books on the toilet, so <laughs> they have some some quality read and not like just the back the the backside of the shampoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. And uh, my last question is: uh, If you could go back in time to your eighteen-year-old self, uh, what for advice would you give to yourself? I mean, eighteen-year-old uh, me is a total different person. I wouldn't be friends with. I would find uh, 18 year old friends, uh, 18 year old me very, um, very fond of himself. So just to put it in context, I wore baggy pants, was doing graffiti, uh, doing hip hop and thought that the world evolves around being as real as possible. So okay, cool. uh, <laughs> I, thought, uh, I thought I knew everything. So what would I tell my 18 year old self? I would tell him uh, question uh, things. I would tell him uh, everything will go fine. Enjoy uh, what you're doing and don't become a cynic. Yeah, cool. Would you would you think like he would listen to you? Like, what? Like, would you say yeah. like? It would it would get him like he would he would listen to you and he would think about it or would you think like you just say okay come on <laughs> which eighteen year old girl, which eighteen year old boy who is on top of his game ever listens to anyone anyway so I don't I think he would listen yeah but he would still say okay um, yeah that's not important it's it's not important as art or it's not important as Something else. There, there will be a sentence I will yeah. say too much. Yeah, could be. How did the transition happening? Like, how did you uh, leave the hip hop graffiti track? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, the French also have a saying: if you, uh, if you uh, till till when 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 you are thirty and not a socialist, then you don't have a heart, and if you after thirty and still a socialist, then you have no brain. So, I mean. <laughs> How can I stay hip hop my whole life? <laughs> if, if it's not my career, then of course I cannot stay hip hop all my life. Yeah, okay, cool. There was not a hard decision to to leave that behind me, but I still have it in my heart. Still love the music. Yeah. <laughs> you you also never know. It could be that you would be famous as a hip hop artist or a graffiti artist if you would stay to it. Like it's 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 always hard to say. You never know. Okay. Yeah. So there, there was a transition, and the transition was when I uh, spent uh, one year in Vietnam. That was when uh, I realized that I was very uh, fortunate uh, to uh, have the 
have the um, uh, freedom to uh, to bother myself with with uh, first world problems like uh, whose mixtape is cool and how do I make uh, the 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 spray cans uh, make wider uh, lines. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely good point. Like traveling then brings some context to the whole thing. Yeah, amazing. Cool. Daniel, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Florian, for the time. Thank you very much. You took the time and I'm looking forward to the next version, to the next podcast with us, uh, how, how to do a go-to-market uh, in, in America. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye.